This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a... A feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. I think I'm going to reverse you and then go out the other way. Okay. Perfect. Man, you got a beautiful place here. Oh, thanks, man. How was that interview? Yeah, it was interesting, eh? It was interesting. Didn't sweat too much, huh? No, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I typically do a very terrible job of introducing people on this thing. So, do you want to go introduce yourself? Okay, to the audience, the millions right. of people that are listening to you right now. All right. So, my name is um, Howard Knott, and uh, I'm based at uh, Chapice in the Limpopo province not too far from the uh, Zimbabwe border. Closest town is uh, Messina. And uh, yeah, I'm a third generation game game rancher and uh, second generation outfitter. So you say game rancher, like you did that first. You didn't say outfitter first, you said game rancher first. Is well, that what you would consider yourself first? A game rancher? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a game rancher 
slash outfit. I, you know, I wear more than more than one hat. So turn that microphone just a little bit towards you. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so yeah, co- I mean, I Raise wear. It up a little bit. I wear. I definitely wear two hats. Um, you know, I always tell the guys, even when we when we when I used to be in Farsi years ago, and even now at CPHC. Um, what does CPHC stand for? For those who Co- don't know, the Custodians of Professional Hunting, South Africa. And um, you know, I tell the guys, I'm not a. Most of the guys in the association are probably outfitters and PHs, and the landowners or ranchers are in the minority. So I, I'm wearing I'm wearing two hats. So it's it's often interesting when we have debates. Um, you know, often the outfitters or the PHs see things differently to someone who's a landowner as well but it's really it's, it's interesting to, and it's good to have the balance but yeah so I'm I, because I'm in the game I'm breeding game and I'm I'm uh, hunting game and I'm capturing game so I'm a game rancher but when when someone hears you say you're breeding game you're not sticking them in pens and no, no. breeding different colours and different phases and that kind of stuff, right? No, nothing. You, we're breeding them yeah, on, on the 70,000 acres um, where they're free to roam. That we're breeding them. Every now and then we'll bring in some new blood. Um, my, may buy a buffalo bull from somebody and stick it in here um, and hope it gets into the herd. Or you may buy some new sable or something. You know, but, but generally we, we, we've got to a stage now for years... We very, very seldom bring any any new blood in. We've got the herds are big enough to sustain themselves. Right, and we're driving around your seventy thousand acre, and this place is called. So this is called this is called Radicudland Safaris. Um, Been in operation since. We started. Uh, my dad started the game ranching side in seventy one, and started the hunting in seventy four, and the game capture in seventy four. This place was one of the first, if not the first, places to decide to convert from agriculture to wildlife. That's right, yeah. In 71, in, in <coughs> my dad started removing the, the cattle. And, uh, yeah, like I say, a lot of, lot of people um, thought he was mad. And they said, you know, you're going to have the best best fenced cattle ranch in the country and there was a lot of lot of kidding by even by his good mates and they said you know what are, what are you getting up to this is madness but uh no because agriculture was dominant right it was dominant in exactly and the other thing is when he started you, it wasn't like today you could go you could just go and uh if you wanted to stock the guy starting a game ranch today it's so easy for the guy starting a game ranch today because you can just go to an auction and buy whatever you want on the auction Mm -hmm. and they they deliver them to you in a truck when when my dad started i was a youngster if you wanted game there were no game auctions so you had to go and capture the animals yourself and um i remember we went we brought in eland from namibia we actually put well in southwest africa and they actually put them on a train in Vintuk, and we we delivered them. F- Wowza! Yeah, we rode. We we load. Te- we loaded ten eland in in Vintuk, and we ten deli- eland survived. Ten eland survived. We we took one of our workers, put him on the train, and he fed them on the train and watered them, and every single eland survived. And we same thing with with our chemsbuck. We we uh, 
got them in Namibia and they, they used to chase them with four by four pickups and then throw a dog off when they were tired and the dog would um, grab the chemspuck by the ear and then they would load them and that's how we got our first uh, chemspuck. Waterbuck, I remember as a kid going and we caught waterbuck in nets. Uh, today you wouldn't dream of doing that and we, we caught them in nets, put them on the back of a flatbed truck and with their legs tied and three guys holding each water buck and we drove them Jeez. an hour and a half brought them here to today you'd never dream of that but that was the infancy of the whole game industry and uh yeah it took it took uh now was your was the reason your dad did it your dad right yes your dad did it was it because cattle was just cattle prices were depressed agriculture no. was depressed at the time well no, he just had this love for wildlife. he just had the love for wildlife and he wanted to he, he he wanted to also look at the fact that you could put in so much more red meat per elephant's been here. Oh, that's fresh. That yeah, was there fresh. last night. No, that's fresh. So you have elephants on this property? Yeah. Yeah we do. We've got quite a few. We've got too many in fact. Um we're gonna have to bring bring numbers down. Um it's difficult with elephant now because only certain properties can take elephant and virtually every property in South Africa that's large enough to carry elephants has elephants. Has elephants. So you, you 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 can't really even give them away. I think that's just you know, that's a perception that everyone had. Like you you, you ask a hundred people in America, you know, elephants are they endangered? And obviously, IUCN just came out with a reclassification of forest elephants against African elephants. And then now one is, you know, obviously the African elephant is endangered. That's right. And the forest, forest. elephant's critically endangered. And it's crazy. They're endangered in certain countries, but not, not, in, not in southern Africa. I mean, we, we, like I said, we can't give the elephants away. I've, I've offered them to people to just come and catch them and you can have them. They've been trying for three years. Wow. Yeah. So th the only option we're going to have is eventually to hunt them. Yeah, exactly. What what, what would you do? You know, as you said, it's give them away essentially. Like, come get them if you yeah. want them. Come get them. Come em. get them. Yeah. It's the same situation as that Namibia scenario, right? We there were 170 elephants put out for tender. Mm -hmm. We want. We were going to buy them, but it was like, where do you take them? Yeah. And you had to take them up to the Congo, and that's like I think we ran the numbers. It was like three million dollars to get them up there to move them. Well, that's what people don't understand. It's easy to say, "Well, I'm going to move a kudu, or an eland, or a wildebeest," but to to move a to move an elephant takes a couple of thousand, you know, rand to catch each one. So we've got elephant on the property. You've got rhino. You've got buffalo. We've got leopard. Yeah, um, and then all the smaller predators, and both brown and spotted hyena. Is there a reason why you have not brought lion onto the property and let them free roam? Um, we do get virtually every year we get some free roaming lion that move through but they don't they they they, you know, they don't stick around yeah they're not sticking around um the the reason would be there's some water back out there the reason would be probably our biggest problem is to to keep them in our, our whole southern boundary is up in the mountains and to try and electrify that you could do the electrification, but you, the only way you can patrol that is to literally walk. You mm. can't, you can't use a horse. You can't uh, use a vehicle, not even a four wheeler. It's just too rocky. And if they get out of there, they would move into the tribal areas and and eat the cattle and the donkeys and goats. Right, so right. it would just be never, never ending.
Jeez. Jeez, that's creepiest. So when when someone from the US or, you know, people that don't understand hunting, we're driving through a place that is abundant. Like you can hear us turn off the vehicle. Every yeah. time we're turning off the vehicle. They're filming some animal. We're filming yeah. some animal. Water buck, we're looking at some water buck right now. There was impala. We just crossed over some, you know, fresh elephant dung. If you weren't selling hunts here, mm-hmm. would you not bring ecotourists in and become we a, pho- a photographic <laughs> like what we're doing right now? We tried. We've tried that for many, many years. We and we marketed heavily back in the in the eighties and nineties for tourism. The biggest problem: we're too far off the beaten track. We we've got no ep- no major airport anywhere near us and the, and the average photographic tourist he wants to fly in spend three days and and move on again and if you haven't got an airport anywhere near you they're not going to do the drive it's just too 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 long a drive whereas your your hunter he doesn't mind he'll drive all day to get somewhere and he doesn't mind the rugged terrain and and he doesn't mind you know sitting at airports and waiting your, your average photographic people it's just they want everything just laid on. How many photographic tourists do you think you would need to push through this property well, to account for, you know... Okay, so what we do, we, we probably do, let's say, about 30, 30 hunters a year. Okay. And for me to to make the same income from photographic guys, I would probably have to push through 150 to 200 uh, photographic tourists so your your imprint is going to be way way higher than than the hunters the imprint on the environment uh, right right yeah they did an interesting study uh, it was three years ago in a in a big game area which is they do hunting and and photographic but it's mainly photographic but they do some hunters and they they had 49 hunters that year in the area and 12,000 photographic tourists the 49 hunters brought in more income than the 12,000 tourists that was in South Africa wow uh, and that 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 uh, just shows you i mean imagine what 12,000 people what imprint they left versus right. 49 hunters yeah it's a no brainer so if hunting was taken <laughs> off this property, you you did talk about different other streams of income, right? Mm-hmm. Your game capture, game auction. But it's okay. It's a it's a small it's a small figure. Uh, the game capture is quite good, but you can only catch so many animals, mm-hmm. and 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 generally a lot of times you're not catching those big old bulls because they they they're too hard on the environment. Uh, I mean, they're too hard on the capture. The capture equipment. I think they're seeing some water back there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those bulls are too hard on the on on the capture equipment on the trucks. They fight and they they too expensive to catch because you've got to bring them in one one at a time. So it just it's not viable often catching the big bulls. The only viable option is to hunt them. And uh, yeah, I mean, I last year when we had the COVID lockdown. Why don't you just and this is me playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Why don't you just let Mother Nature be, Howard? Why don't you just let the big bulls you know be and we don't need to hunt them well some something has to pay for the running of the ranch and uh 
if if uh, if we can't hunt those animals, there's going to be no income to pay the anti-poaching guys, to pay the staff, to run the vehicles, to to uh, maintain uh, roads, maintain vehicles. Something's got to pay for that, and the only way is to is to do game capture, uh, culling, and trophy hunting. And tro to give you an in interesting um, observation, when we had COVID, when we had COVID last year. And we we couldn't have any any um, foreign hunters. We we reverted we reverted to um, we reverted to um, meat hunters, biltong hunters. And I did about 160 biltong hunters, and those 160 biltong hunters brought in 20% of what 30 of my trophy hunters bring in. Well, so it, it's it just you. We have to have trophy hunting to be able to make these big private reserves uh, viable. I mean, if you take 160 people, brought in 20% of what 30 mm -hmm. foreign hunters bring in. Plus, when the foreign hunters hunt, the meat all stays ours, so we can supply that to the local communities. We can sell it to the butchers. There's, whereas the Bilton guy is taking his his meat. So I mean it's it's an absolute no-brainer. We have to have trophy hunting to sustain these vast areas. Yeah, because the the you know the ideal that someone says, well there must be a there must be a different model. There must be something that can pay. There yeah. must be. Is there something else? <laughs> oh, if there was something else, I'd love to I'd love to know what the that that silver bullet is. Right. Because we've we've done we've done the game we do or we do the game capture, we do some photographic safaris, we do meat hunting, we do some culling. None of them can bring can compete with the trophy hunting simply because the trophy hunting is dollar based or euro based or pound. And like I said earlier, being in Africa we have to have something that's gonna bring in foreign currency wow they're your giraffes one two three four five six seven no six yeah. we have a ton of giraffe yeah there's some days you'll see 40 or 15 in an, in one little area healthy population yeah too way too many um and even the giraffe you know people say oh shame how, how can you hunt giraffe but you know you can only carry so many giraffe as well so you have to either capture them and sell them, or you got to um, cull them. Um, and there's there's quite a demand for uh, giraffe meat amongst the pretty good meat, very good meat. There's there's uh, the old old bulls have got quite a strong smell, but it's not a, not so much on the meat. But the younger bulls and and uh, stuff are they're good eating. They really are. And yeah, we doesn't matter whether it's a impala or whether it's an elephant or a giraffe. What it, the, the land can only carry so many animals and then you've got to start doing something. You've got to do something. Yeah, and the, you've got two options. You either you either hunt them or you capture them. But they both... Uh, well, someone would argue that there's actually a third way, which is just let Mother Nature be. And if they overpopulate, they're going to die, plus kill other species as well because they're going to eat everything that's there to eat. And they're going to starve to death, which I'd rather I'd rather end the animal with a bullet or capture it. It's so funny that that 
typically is the rhetoric yeah. of people that are against hunting. Let Mother Nature be. Yeah. But Mother Nature, she's she's cruel and she's violent and she's has no morals. Exactly. And she will she will keep the numbers down. If you let them overpopulate and you have you have a drought, they're gonna crash and you can have a major crash in your population. So I'd rather keep them sort of maintained or not sort of I'd, I'd rather keep them maintained at a certain number that I know that's a sustainable number for the property the minute you go above that you've got a problem so when you decide what <laughs> you're hunting every year how are you deciding that's <coughs> willy-nilly right you just go around and say ah, I think we're going to be able to take no. 20 impala this year or no I'm so going to take 30 buffalo this year no, so what we do, we do a game census every year. Uh, we, with a helicopter, we do we fly uh, grids, and we we count the entire reserve, which is damn expensive. But it's, we've got to do it. It's the only way. It's like the guy who raises cattle. He counts his cattle. He knows exactly how many cattle he's got. And he knows what he can run. So we've got to do the same with our wildlife. We've got to count them, and then from that count, we work out how much we've got to remove of each species, and whether we remove it through capture or hunting or culling um, but we have to remove an X amount every year so on this reserve we've, we've got to probably move we've got to move about 1500 animals a year we have to remove off this reserve um, every year that's a lot of animals it's a lot of animals and of those 1500 we'll probably you know three or four hundred will probably be hunted and the rest will be captured live and moved um, to other reserves but you know, ultimately we have to remove them some way. Mm-hmm. Or Mother Nature removes them. Or Mother Nature will remove them. At some them. point. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a very unique model, right? That it's just... You're, you're, you're just you're, uh, it's an agricultural model. It's a... Exactly. It's a, you know, maximizing your maximum sustainable yield year over year. You are obviously in a drought-prone part of the country. That's right. Uh, we're right, right up north in South Africa, very close to the Zim border. You've had really good rains this year. Yeah, first time in, in six years. And so are you are you changing your management goals and objectives dependent on, obviously that's going to have a major impact on the population, right? In the drought years, you know, you, you're probably not getting good calf crops or... That's right. So so some years, you know, you like, like we had this drought for the last six years, Obviously, a lot of the the females, they still bred most of them, but uh, a lot of them maybe didn't raise their calves or they aborted their fetuses, uh, which some of the game can do. Um, So the secret is when it rains like it did this year is not get excited and say, man, I've got lots of grazing this year because we don't know that drought could come back next year. Mm -hmm. So even in a good year, we still have to keep removing um, and stick to our our um, values of how many animals we want to carry. Yeah, you can see there's been some rhino in the road, yeah. Two two rhinos have walked here during the night. So you've got rhino on the property? Yeah. We have white and black? Both white and black, yes. Um, obviously, you know, big poaching issues when it comes to rhinos. Yeah, we... Have you had any runners poached? We we have. We've had a couple poached, and it's and it's really been tough. And we've we've had to dehorn all the rhino, and you've got to keep doing it because those horns are growing all the time. And uh, again, at at huge cost. I mean, it it cost. 
you know, by the time you dart a rhino, helicopter time, vet time, and then what we do, we, we, we put tracking devices on each rhino, but the tracking devices only last, you know, between a year and 18 months. Mm -hmm. So we've got, to, we've got to dehorn them and replace their tracking devices every sort of 18 months or so. Do, <coughs> do you hunt your rhinos on the property? We have before, but we haven't uh, for many years now because they, they all dehorned. Um, so no value really there's no hunting value in our rhino we purely we purely keeping the rhinos for the love of the animals and to for the species and then also it's well let's talk about that value because that's <laughs> where people are going to take issue right yeah is that and i think that's the whole like element of trophy hunting is people that are against trophy hunting and there's even hunters that are against trophy hunting yeah you know, when I, th I, you think about it, I like to call it selective hunting, right? You're selecting the oldest, maturest animal to, again, sustain the population. But when you said that the rhino has no value anymore, that's really what a, a rhino brings, right? There's, when someone wants to hunt a rhino, they want to hunt it because it has good horns. Exactly, exactly. So now we've removed the horn, so it's got no value for a hunter. The only the only value it's got now is for the hunter to see the animal. He may be out there um, hunting an impala or a kudu or a hemsbuck, whatever it is, but he bumps into a rhino and it's a thrill to see one of the big five. But you know the 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 big problem has been rhino were worth a lot of money a few years ago, with or without a horn. Mm -hmm. But the, the 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 reality is now because the poaching is so intense and it costs so much money to protect them. I mean, we're spending an absolute fortune on protecting our rhinos. and Yeah, we did the rhino project with you guys exactly. in December to help you guys because you were coming out of that massive drought. Yeah, that's right. And, and I mean, we're eternally grateful to you, know, to you guys for, for helping us with that. You know, we could go and buy a couple of, couple of hundred bales of, of uh, lucerne and stuff. But uh, the, the, the fact is we're spending an awful lot of money looking after the animals for no return like i say we're doing it for the right. love the love of the animal and for conservation yeah but at the end of the day <laughs> love only goes so far right and that's my concern you know, when we we started we've got a we've got a rhino association in our area that all the rhino breeders belong to and when we started uh eight nine years ago there were 13 of us in our area we're down to two there's two of us left with rhino. Wow. The rest of the guys sold their rhino, got rid of them. Some were all poached. But a lot of guys just said, look, it's, I'm not going to endanger my life anymore. I'm not going to endanger my family's life. The poaching that bad? The poaching is, is that bad on, on rhino. That, I mean, it's, it's a war. There's, there's no, there is no two ways about it. The rhino uh, protection, it's a, it's a low-key war, and people do not understand. You know, these rhino poachers are, are armed. They carry sidearms. I mean, and and they've attacked they've attacked uh, game ranches at their houses. Um, people have been shot. It's it's an all out all out war, and a lot of guys have just got out of it. Well, there's example from 13, we're down to two guys, uh, two ranches in our area left with rhino. Amazing. It's sad. No, it's a sad day, and then <laughs> it's it's almost sad also that bringing it full circle. It's sad that someone like you on a property like this where the rhino has no value from a hunting perspective. The only thing that is keeping rhinos on this property 
is the hunter's dollar. That's that's the crazy part. It's the hunter's dollar that's keeping the rhino alive. Not no 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 greenie, no anti hunter has put one penny into into the, the, the rhino protection on this reserve. And you know, it's it's just it's 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 sad because uh, they all talk the talk but none of them are walking the walk. Mm-hmm. Well, not as far as private as far as private uh, they may be giving the Kruger Park and these national parks are, are getting a lot of lot of donations from from um, anti-hunting groups, but the private landowners, it's uh, the hunters that are supporting us. Do we know? I don't know the statistic off the top of my head, but I could almost, you know, I know the statistic for Africa, in which it is there's double the amount of habitat and wildlife conserved on private land than there is in national parks. That's right. It will almost be about the same in South Africa. It could be even more in South Africa. I I think it's it's even more in South Africa. An interesting aspect is um, right now the private landowners in South Africa have got more rhino than all the national parks put together, which is really sad. Up Up until a few years ago, the national parks had more but they've they've been so decimated by poaching that uh, the Kruger up until up until a year ago the Kruger kept saying they've got ten thousand odd rhino. Well, now the truth's come out. They they've got less than three thousand, I believe. Um, they they are probably double that in private private hands at the moment. Yeah, um, and it's crazy. And yet we we get no. We don't get any help from the state. We don't get any help from 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 the world at in general to protect our rhinos, and yet we're protecting more than than the national parks have got. Yeah, it's a yeah, it, it's it's almost a backwards model, right? The yeah. That someone is against us for putting, you know, using hunting as a way to put value onto a land, onto a property, and. Yeah, we're talking about rhinos, but there's a bunch of stuff on this property, Howard, that you don't hunt. No, not at all. I mean, there's, we we don't hunt we don't hunt any of the cats. We got no, you don't get any permits for cats. We're protecting a huge amount of leopard. We saw bat-eared fox this morning. Do yeah. you hunt bat-eared fox? No, here? no, never. So there's so and many animals that are actually protected because of hunting. That's right. I see some fresh buffalo dung there. Elephants have just been here. Let me see. Zikoya Angendo. Looks like they're going this way, the elephants. Um, yeah, we, we now, we've become one of the, we're one of the reserves in South Africa where they're releasing pangolins. That's right, that's right. Uh, my mate Francois Mayer. Yes. It's funny how small this world small is. World. Eh? That I started talking to Francois Mayer before I even knew of Greater Kudaland. And so they've, you know, they've earmarked us. They, that this is one of the release sites where these poor animals have, you know, been recovered from the poachers. And yeah, and well if people don't know, pangolin is the most trafficked animal in the world. That's right. And, and so you've got a seventy thousand acre property here that is protected through hunter dollars. That is now a release site for the most trafficked animal in the world. Exactly, and, and, and just n- to make sure that everyone understands, you're not hunting pangolins. No, never. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, it was interesting. Uh, last year, we we f- we uh, had the first pangolin born, released pangolin 
in in the history born on Kudaland and they got it on film and everything it was actually they had it on on national TV um amazing yeah so and and uh that makes you proud right yeah and they they've now been able to study the these these pangolins and they're seeing how the 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 baby and the mother react and what the mother does nobody knew anything about it until until this this pangolin which they nick they they gave her the name Ellie until Ellie gave birth and where did Ellie give birth on a hunting ranch not on some mm-hmm. national park mm-hmm. and yeah so we're protecting i mean we've been doing a leopard study uh, now for over 2 years and we've identified 30 36 individuals already that's not saying all 36 live permanently on the reserve but we've identified 36 leopard and those leopard are protected we're not we're not hunting those leopard um it, it's it's just crazy so you know the the the, the antis can say what they want to but we we're doing way more protecting animals than than shooting animals yeah, it's it's the whole model. Well, their model is every indiv- they you know they they work on an individual basis. Yeah, we work on a population basis. That's right. That you're sacrificing. Yes, you have to kill. You have to kill. Well, you know, in in your <laughs> the way that you framed it, we have to take out. There has to be an, a certain amount of, amount of animals that are taken off this property every year. Do we? Could you? Well, that's it. You know, the bottom line is we've got to look, we've got to look at the habitat, and we can only carry what the habitat will allow. And certain years you've got to take off more because of droughts. Certain years you can take off a little bit less. But bottom line is habitat, and there's no ways that we can allow the animals to turn this into a desert. We've got to, we've got to control them. Right. I mean, here's a classic example. Look at this tree pushed over by an elephant into the road. You know, your property can only, only sustain, only sustain so many animals and so many elephants. Well, you know, if, if I can sustain 50 elephants on my property, I can't carry 100. Um, sooner or later, those elephants will start destroying the environment so badly that other species will go extinct. Yeah, it's all about balance, right? It's exactly. about us as humans being the stewards of this land exactly instead of letting mother nature do what she does and you know yes she'll you know she'll manage herself but it'll be at a boom and a bust cycle and weather will have a major factor in it and it's not pretty when things you know she decides okay we're going to take out yeah. half the population because they can't sustain themselves well yeah i look at an interesting thing i look at the kruger park now when i was growing up all the years they kept they kept the elephants, look at this, they kept the elephants out of the Pufuri area along the Levubu River. It was, the Levubu was considered a um, a sort of a no-go area for elephants because they wanted to protect all those beautiful riverine trees. Mm -hmm. Well, since the the, the late 90s, they they stopped removing elephants from from, uh, that area and the elephants have moved into that into that Levubu in a big way, which is pretty to see. But you go and do a game drive in the uh, Levubu area now, and where there were magnificent forests, those fever tree forests. Right, I remember those. You, they are decimated. You, there's areas you can drive for a kilometer, and you will not see a tree standing. Wow. Thanks to elephants. Now, what do you want to tell me? That's that's good. Just 
you know, so the greenie wants to tell me, well, no, that's fine. Uh, you just don't, you, you can't hunt the elephant or reduce the elephants, but uh, they, it's fine. They can destroy the entire habitat. Now the, the vultures are losing their trees for nesting. The fish eagles are losing their trees for nesting. The yeah, there's a knock-on effect throughout the, inv- the, the ecosystem. The bushbuck and the nyala are losing all their their trees that they eat. So you, yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, I don't know. You just, I just can't understand the, the common sense. Well, in fact, uh, like I said to Craig earlier, the world's the world is full of clever people, but very few wise people. Mm. And and I think unfortunately, there's too many clever people running running the. Um, conservation models in our in our country zebra not a zebra yeah there's a couple of them in out there yeah zebra <laughs> or zebra zebra <laughs> it depends <laughs> if you're an american it's a zebra <laughs> yeah it's um you know I, I, one of the things i always say is if they just came and saw it yeah just and come and, and see what we do yep we we you know when we do interesting over the years when we do our game ca- game capture, we've often had um, volunteers coming from the U.S. and Europe, and a lot of the volunteers for some reason are are women. I would say seventy percent of the volunteers, and they come and spend a month or two weeks here <coughs> and getting their hands dirty and doing a bit of game capture and stuff. And a lot of them arrive here totally anti-hunting because they don't understand it, and we we. I explained the the situation and the model that we have here, and I'm yet to have one that went home without understanding the system and why. Why we hunt and why we do game capture. As soon as they get here, and you can explain to them around a campfire, the the bigger picture. There's no problem. You're right. I mean, I've had some of them come here completely anti-hunting, don't even want to eat meat, and uh, I'll explain to them. And within a couple of days, they're happy to eat the venison. They're even happy to go and and see some of the animals being hunted. You know, it's because it's just opened up a whole new world to them. Right, right. Well, it's it's you know, everyone thinks that hunting, you know, based on social media, is just tied to that. It's just tied to the the kill the baboons in front of us okay um but they forget the build-up that that well they, they forget all of everything else everything yep. that you just described all the things that are happening on the farm all the things that you're protecting all of those elements don't get translated through a single social media post <coughs> they, you know you have to be in it you have to see it that's why you know us doing a podcast like this and the things that we're doing really open up the eyes of the non-hunter to say oh wow that's that's how things really are that's right that's right no it's it's extremely interesting and and i'm like i say i'm yet to have a single person leave this place that can argue against our our model once they've been here and they see what we we're doing they there's without doubt there's not a single person i've had that that uh, was unhappy what we're doing but they've got to be exposed to it Right. Well, I appreciate your hospitality, and uh, yeah, it's been. Uh, we've only been on the ground for less than twenty-four hours. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys coming out, Robbie. 
yeah, it's uh, it's going to be good. We just want to show the other side. We essentially want to tell the truth, right? Yep. We want to tell the truth of what's happening on the ground, of people like you, game ranchers, wildlife management, and what hunting is doing for that side of things. That's right. Yeah, I always tell the guys as well, and I may have mentioned it to you earlier, Look at look at this. What we're seeing here. We're driving along. We've seen how much game already. We're looking at this environment in its natural state. Um, we're not seeing fences. We're not seeing damn human encroachment anywhere. And yet we're a hunting reserve, but we're only hunting a small percentage of the animals each year. We're not. We're not. We're hunting. Our kind of hunting will never ever destroy a population of animals. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to end the podcast. Yeah. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.